Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. My guest this week is Jay Miller, a podcaster developer, and as of recently, a developer advocate for Elastic. How's it going, Jay? I'm excited to be here. This is this is several years of dreams come true, finally. It's really nice to hear that. I have been on your show before, and Twice. I would say that if you feel like reverting to interviewer mode and ask me questions, it's totally cool because that's makes my job way easier i would just say just stop me and be like hey no this is my show what are you doing you are now a developer advocate for elastic first tell me what is elastic what do they do so elastic is the search company i'm not going to say a search company we are the search company that's right google shots fired (laughs) let's do this but the way that i explain it to people when i'm doing the advocacy thing is that Elastic is the search that you want to work so you don't have to go to Google. And I mean that in when you go to Yelp, you want to find tacos in your area. That's powered by Elasticsearch. When you want to go to, you know, when you're on Uber and you want to like, you know, hail a ride and it's checking your area, checking for cars in your area. It's making sure it has a list of, you know, who you've worked with in the past and who you don't want to have, you know, driving you. That's Elasticsearch working in the background. We are a search company through and through. And what we've kind of been able to learn is that search works beyond a UI bar and a little magnifying glass. In fact, we can search logs. Um, I think I showed you a picture of this, but we can search RSS feeds and look at trends and history of people's posting frequency and things like that. And I know... Of course, when you start talking about data and the consumption of data, it can get creepy. But the general idea is we're only able to collect the things that people give us. Yeah. And looking at it from like the database perspective, we are simply a database that focuses on retrieving the information that you're looking for as you're looking for it really, really fast. The, the, the creepy thing happens when it's gathering data you don't realize you're putting out there and when you find out that they're selling that data, that's that's when it gets creepy. Using actual public data, that's what data is for. That's what it's there oh, I for. I love doing that. I, uh, I've, I've actually started working on the uh, San Diego police call records for the last five years to see if there's any trends in over-policing in, in different districts based on their 911 calls. Really? I would yeah. I would so, be curious to see your findings. Uh, right now, I'm just trying to get the things to work. Sure, so <laughs> we're getting there. I did. I noticed with your uh, your your analysis of my RSS feed, um, it, it made a pretty clear graph of my bipolar disorder. You can see where I was manic, and then these lulls where I was depressed. It was uh, perhaps the uh, the the best mood meter I've seen yet. Well. A lot of that comes from the idea, um, I'm sure you know Wolfram from Wolfram Alpha fame. Yeah. But one of the things that he's done is collect so much data on himself that he's able to just make these correlations to things that no one else would think of. And hearing about that, I've wanted to do something similar. And you mentioned like working with RSS feeds and seeing if it has a way to track like you know, mental health or having peaks and valleys. If you, if you have to track, you know, your mood to me, being able to log that data and present it in a way that you can make those connections is something that I don't think is necessary for the business end of companies. I I think that's a personal journey because I think everyone's data is different. I mean, that's kind of where we start to fall off in productivity is everyone tries to follow the one way when there really isn't the one way it's your way whatever you decide to do that's what's going to work for you and i mean not to be too much of a shill but one of the things i like about elastic as a company is that all of our products are open source so we we get paid to host data when it's asked of us but in terms of all of our products Anybody can download them. Anybody can run them on their machine. You can set up your own system and, and you can configure it. And we see none of that data ever. And to me, that 
is the power of an amazing product, not an amazing company. Um, I, it's probably not your fault, but I'm surprised I've never heard of Elastic before. I think that that's a victim of doing our job because <laughs> you know the internet outrage machine doesn't yell at us too much and in fact the only advertisements that i've seen that are like talking about competitors are often like do you have all of these problems that other databases have well try our database because you're not going to have them with us so sure. you know, i can i can tend to uh definitely understand that the common world doesn't really know of us but i mean i didn't know that I was working for a company that, you know, we're trying to we're reach like a billion dollar company status and like we're publicly traded and all of these things. And I didn't know that until I got the offer letter and it was like, oh, oh, wow, we're bigger than I thought we were. So so you you're obviously you're advocating for them right now. But what does a developer advocate do? So I like to think of a developer advocate as like a influencer for a certain segment of the tech community. And for me, it just happens to be in the, the world of dealing with search. So advocates are often the people that you see speaking at conferences if they're not engineers. In fact, I think one of the, the funny trends is as more and more conferences have gone to online only events, a lot of the advocates that I know have been getting into live streaming more and it's they're realizing, oh, wait, you mean I don't have to prepare a talk? I don't have to, you know, figure all this stuff out. I don't have to travel, you know, yeah. three weeks out of the out of the month. I can just jump on a computer, turn on a camera and talk. And that's like doing my job. OK, sign me up. That's great. But one of the things that I like to say and that I'm glad happened was we're no longer evangelists. You know, it's great when we can preach the amazingness of our product, the speed, the relevance, all those things. But to me, the switch from developer evangelism, which is what it used to be called for a long time, or developer relations to developer advocacy is that we speak on behalf of both sides to the other side. So for folks in the community we're out there listening to their concerns. We're out there trying to help them build the things that they want to build. And when there are headaches, we're the people that are, you know, logging the issues, updating the documentation, speaking to people on the engineering team saying, Hey, when, you know, when Brett uses our system, he's getting this error this error could probably be written better. I've already submitted a pull request to update the documentation for it. Can you just make sure that this is done? And then when it is reaching back out to Brett and saying, Hey, thank you so much for, you know, catching this. I've made sure that it won't happen for anyone else. I need a developer advocate for my software. I've been trying for years, <laughs> but I'm just a ter I'm terrible at maintaining some of the things I've helped make. I, yeah, it would be great to have someone in between me and the GitHub issues that could kind of um, I, it's a di it's a diplomatic position. Uh, you you I'm sure that you, like when develop when things go wrong for developers, they're not always kind about it. Uh, I'm sure you hear the angry side of things and have to translate that into the actual like uh, report. And then go back and try to be nice to someone who's perhaps um, being a bit confrontational. I think the best example of that is whenever there's a like a tweet of someone that's just struggling to get something working and they shout and they shout and they shout. Why is this so complicated? Why does this not work? Why is this wrong? And sometimes, yeah, we, we have to accept that there should be egg on our face. You know, hey, we messed this up. So, you know, when you want to say all of those things, but you can't because you have to think of like, what is the best diplomatic response to that? And it might be, hey, we're sorry you're having a, a difficult time with that. Have you looked at this log that, you know, clearly shows the exact same issue that you're having 
that I found in a quick Google search because my Google foo, or I guess my duck, duck foo is, you know, kind of attuned to these problems. Here you go. Yeah. See, then I, I can do that. I have this strong temptation to have you used uh, let me Google that for you. Yes. Uh, did you know there's a version for DuckDuckGo? Yes. <laughs> I'm always I, I I so rarely get a chance to use that when I know that the other person will find it funny because it is uh, uh, so it's so sarcastic. Uh, for anyone yeah. who hasn't used that, you, it's a site you can go to. And when someone really should have just Googled for an answer that they would have found for like first try, you can type in the query for them and it'll give you a link. And when they follow it, it'll open Google, show an animation of typing it in and then do the search for them. It's it's delightful sarcasm. And I mean, it's and it's not to say that the person hasn't gone and done those things. It's. Again, you know, I'm learning this stack as I'm helping advocate for it. So there are plenty of times where someone says, ah, why is this not working? And I go, I don't know. Why is this not working? And then I go, you know, message someone that's on the development team and they go, oh, yeah, totally. This is what's wrong with it. Here's the exact link. And I can go, hey, can we turn this into a blog post so that that's easier to find? So it's again, it's, it's kind of that idea of you want to be the face of like reason and calmness for the company. But then also when something does come up, you want to be able to shield the, as you mentioned, shield that engineering team from just a barrage of why are you doing this wrong? Don't you know how to code? (laughs) My goodness. It's like, you've never written a line of code in your life before. And, and again, these are people that are just frustrated because they have their own deadlines to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I truly appreciate that. I, I work hard to uh, res- respond to angry messages with kindness, and I generally get a very good result from doing that. But when I can afford to hire you away from Elastic, it would be so nice to not have that responsibility on my plate. I would say the thing that that I've done, this is like my my mini productivity hack. I actually just say what I want to say and then let text expander translate it for me. <laughs> I do that. Yep. I think I, I think I have a blog post about uh, a text expander snippet that converts my my very sarcastic uh, responses into into. Thank you for reporting this issue. I'm sorry you're having this problem. Um, yeah. Anyway, so in your uh, your off time, you you have something called the pit show. Yeah. And that's been going on for a a few years now. Tell us about that. So the pit show was this idea of I was really unproductive. Well, and I won't even say I was unproductive. I didn't know what productivity was. And I really wanted to learn from people that were that I considered to be productive. So. I did what any normal person would do. I started a podcast and said, Hey, who wants to be on my show? And, you know, six years later, we've got a community. We, you know, we're still putting shows out and, um, I've, I've had you on the show a couple of times because, you know, you, you change your style up every once in a while and it's good to, to see what's been working and what hasn't been working. And ultimately the show has kind of evolved over time from, a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback from the audience saying like, hey, we love the interviews, but we want to know what you're doing. So then I started putting my own like two cents in the ring. And then there were people that were like, yeah, we like what you're doing, but we want to hear from more people. So eventually, you know, the current iteration of this is now the pit show, which is literally me talking about something relevant to whatever happened that week and then playing a snippet of an interview that I, I had with someone and then wrapping it up with how do these two things come together neatly? And then I just ship it. And you know, it's, it's, that's kind of been my working stance for a while. Like just do the thing, ship it out. If people listen to it, great. If people don't listen to it, you still wanted to make it. So no harm there. That's it's it's pretty cool. You found a balance between you and your interviews. Um, how so do you, would you say that doing this format where half of it is just you talking 
Do you think that takes more or less planning than doing a full interview show? I think that it eased up the interview, I guess, dilemma. Because, I mean, as someone that does an interview show, you know that it is a pain in the butt to first of all, find people to talk to, then record the interviews, then edit the interview. And on top of all of that, have it sitting there for who knows how long so that you can publish on a regular schedule. And I think what this allowed me to do was take all the interviews that I have left for this year, which I think if I released one interview a week, I would have enough interviews to go into like late December. And basically cut those in half and turn them into little snippets that are no longer time sensitive that I can go, Hmm, what happened this week? Well, this and this happened. That kind of reminds me of that conversation that I had with such and such. Let me pull that interview up and, you know, play this 10 minute clip of it. And it, it just transformed it into a different way of thinking, not necessarily like the job got easier or harder. It was more like, when I had to come up with things to think about, I struggled with filling time. When I was only doing interviews, the interviews would often either become irrelevant or they wouldn't kind of match what was going on in the space, especially now where, you know, every week there's some scandal fiasco wild thing happening. <laughs> so I kind of just took the best of both worlds and like jammed them together. And it and it's it feels very much now like a talk show more than it does me hosting a podcast. It's me getting up and giving my monologue, having a guest, asking them a few questions, thanking everybody for listening to them, and then wrapping it up with my closing monologue. And then the music plays. Except you don't have a team of writers. Exactly. I mean, if I had a team of writers, the show would be even better. Yeah. Well, when I have enough money to hire you away from your day job, uh, hopefully we'll be able to hire some writers as well. I mean, you've got you've got the discord now. I'd say just ask them like, hey, <laughs> these, these shows aren't going to produce themselves. Yeah. For anyone listening who is not already in the discord, uh, there is a growing community. There will be a link in the show notes. Come join us. You can you can ask Jay questions. It'll be fun. So you talked about starting the pitch show because you wanted to be more productive. Did it work? I mean, Did starting the pitch show make me more productive? Yes. Did the focus on wanting to be more productive make me more productive? Absolutely not. Uh, Kind of the the long story short there was I'm a military veteran. I served in the Marine Corps. I got out of the Marine Corps, got a regular jobby job. And in that job, I didn't really fit what they needed, but I was what they had. So it kind of worked. The issue was for five years, I had been told when to wake up, when to work out, when to go eat, when to stop eating, and then like when to go on vacation, quote unquote, deployment. So having that amount of direction, especially at a young age, didn't really prepare me for, hey, here are your responsibilities. No one's going to really tell you what to do. You just got to balance it and figure it all out yourself. So then the the immediate switch to that was I do everything at like 15, screw 10, screw 11, screw all the other ones. I'm like, it's either all or nothing. So I was like, I need to know how to be like the productive person. I want to know what the Eisenhower matrix is. I want to know what GTD stands for. I want to read all the books. I want to listen to all the shows. Like I'm subscribed to like 300 podcasts still. And like, I don't have time to listen to all of them. And out of that became a ton of stress, to be honest, of just like, I can't do this. Like I can't be GTD. I can't get things done the David Allen way. I can't make Kanban fit every situation. And That just meant that I stressed more and more and more, and I started searching for other solutions and asking other people, well, what are they doing? They're using 12-week here. Let me do that. I'm throwing out all these buzzwords just to prove that I know them, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But at the end of the day, something finally clicked. And by the way, I'm a bullet journalist now, so I did find something that kind of worked for me. But the thing that I learned was my productivity is my productivity. Like, I could... 
write a book on all the things that I do that make me productive. And I'm sure that someone else would read it and go, oh, wow, I've never thought about this one particular thing. Let me just try that. And that's when I realized the value of having all of these guests on the show, but not fully adopting their entire process, looking for like the one I call it like the nug, like the one nugget of of truth that you can incorporate into your system or that you can be thinking about how does Brett manage this one thing, which I know it's been a while since I've asked you like how, you know, Taskmeister and all these other things are working for you for that exact reason is like, I'm glad that they're just working for you. It's like I see their success. I don't need to know how you're doing it to hope that I can emulate that. I know it won't work for me. I'm I'm glad I didn't have to go through the long journey to, to realize I couldn't adopt any one system. Um, the, my brain just would never focus on one system long enough to feel like I could make it work for me. Uh, like GTD pretty much, uh, it made sense and immediately I let it go. And the one thing I took away from it, though, was the whole like uh, the the brain dump and just getting things out of my head and into buckets so that I could uh, think clearly and know that they were in a safe place like that. That aspect of GTD stuck with me and it I use it to this day. Everything else about it, I, I, I don't follow. Um, but I get what you're saying. Uh, the the obsession with productivity is a huge impediment to productivity. I think the best way to look at kind of the pathways to managing productivity, uh, there's a good friend of mine, Joe Bulig, that is very, very bright. He does this podcast called Bookworm with Mike Schmitz, and they read a self-help book every two weeks, I believe. Meanwhile, I think I've read like, a full book this year, maybe. So for me, I just, I know like I'm not going to be able to do that. And I'm sure there are people that are like, yeah, you just read like five, read five paragraphs a day and then you'll catch yourself wanting to read 10. But it's like, yeah, I know the tricks. The thing is, I don't care. Like, I don't like them. The tricks are stupid. I don't want to do those things. So I'm not going to. And I mean, maybe I blame it on the ADHD, but to me, I feel like that's just a normal thought. Someone says, hey, you should do this. You go, I don't want to do this. I mean, I've got a daughter, so I hear that all the time. And it's it's like if you don't want to do it, then do the thing that you want to do, but find a way that you don't get fired. You know, that yeah. that was my goal at the end of the day was like, how can I do the job to the the level of completion that I don't get fired at the end of the day? And if I can do that on a regular basis, then I can keep doing whatever the hell I want. How do you I can't imagine reading a self-help book a week. I don't know. There, I, there, there was a podcast uh, called By the Book where they did something very similar. And for every episode they read or they picked one rule from a self-help book to follow it down to the letter uh, for for each episode. And. That's a fun social experiment, but I can't imagine I can't imagine that amount of reading. I, I don't know how you would be able to come to a complete system if you're constantly adding to it every single week. Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they kept following a, 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 any one system after the week was over. I think it's more of a do by Friday thing. See how it works for the week. Uh and I, I assume that that Joe B and Mike S are not um, uh, compiling every self-help book into or concatenating them and <laughs> continually building one bloated system. Definitely. You have to have one of them on the show. They're they're like I said, amazing folk. Mike Schmidt has been on before. Well. I should have him back. I've never had Joe on. I definitely should. Uh, I met met both of them through um, uh, Max Doc, actually. Yeah. And where where you spoke at the last uh, virtual Max Doc. It was really that nice. That was one of the weirdest 
events for me because I knew everyone in the room and nobody knew me. Well, I guess you knew me. I had I a couple you. people that knew me, but it was just like, oh, hey, have you met Jay? And I'm like, oh, hey, look at all these people I've listened to for years. And they're like, oh, no, who's Jay? I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. No, I. uh Yeah, I can't relate. People, people, I don't, I don't follow anybody. So it always shocks me when people do know who I am. I think about like internet celebrity in that weird essence of you never know who's your biggest fan until like you meet them. And then it's just kind of <laughs> like, why? But why though? Yeah, no, but I've actually like the people that I've met because they were uh, like fans of my, my work. And then to the extent where they wanted to meet me and they'd they'd find me and either email me or meet me in person at a conference. Um, I, I've never had a bad experience with that. I know that it could very easily go wrong, but everyone I've ever met that way has become a friend. They've all been cool. I don't want to break Twitter, but I'm pretty sure the way that I got you to guest on my first show, like. God, like five, six years ago was straight up you saying, I need to learn how to make new friends. And I just replied, <laughs> well, if you want to come be on my podcast, I'll be your best friend forever. <laughs> and I took you up on it. You did. And, and now I was we're surprised. friends. I completely freaked out. I was just like, <laughs> oh, well, shoot. How do, okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's figure this out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you also, in addition to running a show and working a day job, you make a lot of stuff. You were talking about uh, some of the data uh, analysis stuff you're working on. And I know you you build tools like uh, what 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 kind of stuff do you do in addition to the things we've already talked about? Yeah, I, I will say that some of the projects are now merging into work projects because I can give talks on them and that's awesome if I mention when that search happens once yeah it's like if i mention search once i'm allowed to work on it during the work day i love it Perfect. <laughs> but the my my business statement by the way pit is a business as well um but it's always been build things that help people that build things build things I know that's kind of weird, but that I mean, that's kind of the mantra is I want to make the things that help people who are making things for other creators. And I think that's where following your work for the longest time really helped to influence that because I saw the tools that you were creating and then realized you're making tools for people that want to create not necessarily people that want to just consume. And uh, a few examples of that, and don't add any of these in the show notes because they're all terrible and that's not my imposter syndrome kicking in. That's like, I have failing tests. So uh, let's not add those. But one of the things that I've been doing lately is working on making transcriptions better. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. Machine learning is a powerful drug, but the way that I'm wanting to approach this is I'm wanting to make transcriptions better for developers. And it sounds like that's not a challenging thing, but anyone that has to write a good variable name can tell you like, okay, if the variable is solve for Y that can be written out many different ways so how do you make that better? And, and again, that's an ongoing journey. And then some of the other things that I've done is um, Render Engine, which is a static site generator that is designed to take all of the fidgetiness out of static site generators. Uh, basically, you just write in Markdown and then you put it in a folder and you say, hey, run. And then it builds it and you don't have to think uh, well, you have to think a little bit, but not too much. And then from there, everything else that I've built has been, how do I solve a problem that I'm having that I'm sure someone else might be having? Um, for instance, this developer I know named Brett Terpstra made this app called Bunch. And I was like, hey, this would be really cool if I could trigger it via Alfred. And I know that that developer named Brett Terpstra uses LaunchBar and he doesn't use Alfred. So 
he's not going to make it. So I'll just make it and then I'll share it and people will complain to me and not him and <laughs> I'll ignore them because that's what I do. <laughs> you did. You did a really good job of running all the support for that. I mean, it. I think the hardest part of that is keeping up because <laughs> you add so many things that eventually I was like, you know what? This is just going to talk to the CLI and <laughs> If breast supports it, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So when, when you when you're scratching all of these itches, uh, do you ever build stuff just because you found uh, a tool that looked fun, like it would be fun to play with? I I don't think that I grab a hammer and start looking for nails, but I do look for nails that I can hit with whatever new hammer that I bought. So isn't that the same thing? I don't think so, because I think one would say, hey, here's a new framework. Like, for instance, a good example, this view three just came out and like Python 3.9 just came out. And there's some really cool features in there that I would love to play with, but I don't have a use case for them. And it's like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to build an app that just so that I can play with those tools. But at the same time, if I do say, you know, hey, I want to track my mood and align that with my Tetris scores, you know, because Tetris is a known therapy method for people with ADHD. Look it up. Um, I can do that. And hey, I get the opportunity to play with this new technology that just came out. I think that's the difference. I, I think, and I think that this is the going back to that productivity problem. There have been apps that came out that said, we are here because we want you to rethink this problem. And there were people that would say, well, I don't really have that problem, but this tool looks so cool that I'm going to spend the money to download this product and just see if it improves my life somewhat instead of going, oh, well, I mean, I don't have that problem, so I don't need to spend the money. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I subscribe uh, to an RSS feed of, uh, of web APIs. It's just a, a site that, that posts, they have a page for like every possible API on the web. And I watch for things that, uh, log social activity or manipulate text in some way or do uh, machine language or machine learning analysis for sentiment of of a blog post stuff like that and i frequently find myself um finding finding nails because uh uh the hammer looks so cool and then i go and i like to think that i am always solving my own problem but i'm pretty sure i often make up problems just to try out new tools i i think for me I get excited when I see something that can solve a problem that I've had for a long time. Um, a good example of this, like the idea of, hey, I just bought a stream deck. Why is why do I need a stream deck? To be honest, <laughs> I don't. Nobody does, but they're cool and I want one. So I bought one. And the thing that was great about this was that when you're starting a new job, you have like all these new websites you got to check and you got to do all this stuff and you got to remember what, you know, the URLs to everything are. Well, I don't have to because I just made a folder and put it on my stream deck. So it's like, oh, hey, I need to go look at that one thing. Where is it at? I don't know. Push one button, push two buttons. Hey, there it is. So does and that does that end up being like your cell phone where you don't know anybody's phone number? You just <laughs> know that you hit the button. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I, I got my stream deck by by accident or as the result of a job. Um, I don't know. I had always kind of uh, it had always appealed to me, but it was one of those things I couldn't justify because I didn't have a problem for it to solve. But then when it came to me, I uh, I did find plenty of things to do with it. Oh, yeah. I'm, it was going to be one of my picks, but I haven't done enough with it, to be honest. Right now, it's just a really good bookmark tool. Like as we speak, I have a, a button I can push anytime and in, it will insert the timestamp into my show notes. Oh, uh, that's nice. Since, since we started recording. Thanks to some uh, some 
keyboard maestro macros uh, from the good folks at Backbeat Media, um, which I will link to in the show notes. Let me put a timestamp in here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, did you ever see exist.io? I did. Did you ever use it? I think I signed up for an account and then I forgot about it. I used it very uh, like daily. I don't want to say religiously because I don't do anything religiously, but um, I used it daily and it goes back to something we were talking about earlier on um, this idea of, of mapping data and it would map not just the mood that I told it I was in, but it would also keep track of how many GitHub pushes I had, how many uh, Twitter posts I made, how many Instagram photos I shared, and it would create these correlations. And they weren't always um, deep, but they were often correlations I never would have looked for. And every, every day it would kind of give you like, you do this more when this happens. And it, it was very interesting. I kind of fell off of using it. Um, I still get the notifications from it telling me that I haven't entered anything and I keep them because I keep meaning to get back to it. But it's that kind of it's that public data. It's it's extracting meaning from stuff that we are publicly sharing anyway. I just wonder, though, there there is the idea of like false correlation. Oh, totally. And. I, I always wonder, like, when you're trying to make these discoveries, like, hey, if I can predict when I'm going to hit like a depressive, you know, point in just like my mood swings, like, yeah, that would be great. However, I, I think that I'm pretty good at identifying when those things are about to happen. Like, I don't I don't necessarily need something reading all of my tweets for sentiment analysis and going up. Oh, he's about to hit rock bottom again. Watch out. Everybody hide the RSS feeds. He's about to do a big dump on everything. So it, it's like I don't I don't think I need that. I think it's like if I catch myself and I go, huh, I've been playing a lot of Tetris lately. I should probably talk to my doctor about my medication and, and see, like, like explain this, or I should probably reach out to my therapist and like, just let them know. And I think that if we, if we are like, if we're trying to track all this stuff to a level that we start self-diagnosing ourselves based on the weather, like, Oh, well, it's going to rain in three days. So I see a, a mood swing happening in five. Like, I, I think that's a dangerous place to be in. What if it what if it really worked, though? What if it could learn enough about you to pick up on uh, things like mood swings before you normally would? Would that change anything? No, because I don't want anybody having that much information <laughs> on me. But what if I don't want that if, much information what if it on could me? Tell enough about your habits that were already. I mean, you're already sharing, you're already posting to Twitter, you're already you're already recording your Tetris scores. Like, what if that data could paint a picture that was truly useful? I guess I don't know what truly useful would be because there's not I mean, yeah, you could go talk to your doctor about your meds. But what are you going to tell them? Indicators say that I'm about <laughs> to have a mood swing. Can we adjust my meds now, even though I haven't actually had anything happen yet? It it could be a very police state world, I suppose. You mentioned painting a picture of all of that data. Um, I'm sure you've seen the subreddit data is beautiful, right? Yes. I'm more interested in it just painting pretty pictures. Well, and that's a lot of what I like about Exist.io is that it lets me see a record. Not so much about correlations and predictions, as it is a well, and do you remember I had an app called Slogger? Do you ever see that? Uh, like that was it, it drew in from all of my social media platforms and put them into a day one journal where I could see them by calendar and by tag. And that's what that was for was this kind of um, retrospective picture of of what I had done. And I, I did like that. I let it die, but I did like that. Oh, man, I need to. Is that source code public? Oh, it's on GitHub. It is. It's a it's a mess of a Ruby script, but you're welcome to revive it if it, if it can be. Uh, it, well, I mean, if it, you could put all that in Elastic and 
actually let it handle the visualization so you don't have to. That would be the, the reason I let it die is because day one changed their database format. And while while Slogger had gotten popular enough that day one specifically kept like a backwards compatible import feature for Slogger, um, it it was complex enough that I didn't I just it was too much work. I let it go. Oh, man, I could blow your mind with some of the stuff that we're able to do. A I, lot of these APIs we already have built out. <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh, this, is, this will be fun. Uh, I, I got to stop talking about work. They're going to make me log my time or something. <laughs> you get paid to be on my podcast. I, oh. I told them. I was like, hey, I'm going to be on a friend's show. Um, I'll try to talk about Elastic if I can. <laughs> if it comes up. Um, yeah. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break here for a sponsor. Not too long ago, over 100 million people had their personal information stolen in a major data breach. Social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, and more, all taken from Capital One customers. And it's not just Capital One. Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, and Yahoo have all leaked passwords, credit card info, and bank numbers belonging to billions of users. And if you think hackers only target large companies to get your information, you're wrong. And that's why I use ExpressVPN to safeguard my personal data online. According to recent reports, hackers can make up to $1,000 from selling someone's personal information on the dark web, making people like you and me easy, lucrative targets. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and phone that secures and encrypts your data so you can have peace of mind every time you go online. The app connects with just one click, it's lightning fast, and the best part is ExpressVPN costs less than seven bucks a month. Listen, if a breach can happen to Capital One, it can easily happen to an individual like you or me. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the number one VPN rated by Wired, CNET, The Verge, and countless others. Use my special link, expressvpn.com systematic, right now to arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com systematic for an extra three months. Thanks again to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the show. So that brings us to the top three picks. I'm excited to hear what you have. Me too. It was funny. I messaged you saying like, Oh man, no wonder you stopped doing your own picks. This is this is hard. And and it was because I feel like I get all of my picks from this show. <laughs> so everything that I've I wanted to talk about was like, well, I I don't know I don't know if, if this has already been covered or not, but I think I have some. Back on five by five, I had a scraper that would pick up the top three picks from every episode which would be like six picks back when I used to do my own and then would compile one big markdown list that I would publish on my blog. And when I had guests on, I could send them to that page and you could just do like a text search to see if your pick had already been used. But I, I, after after three different networks, I, I, I lost track of how to do that. So I uh, let's assume that yours haven't been picked in at least the last the t- 10 episodes. Okay, I, I think I'm good in that case. And I would I know that one of the things that I do on my show is is similar to that where I I tell people like, hey, at the end of the show, you're gonna interview me. It's gonna become your show, you ask me questions. And everybody always freaks out about like, oh, but what if I ask like a bad question or what if the question's already been asked? And I'm like, that's not your responsibility to know. Like it's my job as the the podcaster in chief of my show, I guess, to answer that question in a way that it's still fresh and relevant for my, you know, audience. So I love that you're like trying to create all of these ways for people to check to make sure they're not <laughs> duplicating stuff. But at the same time, like everyone's got their own opinions. Let yeah, share and, share why that one thing. And is I've good told for people you. you can duplicate stuff too. If you really feel strongly about it, go for it. So what is your first pick? My first pick is an app that I don't use that often, but I used it today. So I really loved it. It's called Diagrams and it's on Setapp. So uh, if you're on Setapp, good job. Make sure that you open marked at least once a day so Brett gets some money. And then go check out Diagrams. It is simply a diagramming tool, but it is like the most lightweight diagramming tool I've ever seen. It's not designed to be a power tool. You're not going to build a house with this thing. 
you're simply going to add shapes and lines and connect those things and maybe some words here and there. And that's what I love about it because one of the things that I'm trying to do more and more with my projects is design them first so that the code that I write is very deliberate instead of just, I'm going to write a bunch of code, doing a bunch of other things. And then eventually I go back and remove all of that code. I was, I was able to transform 40 blocks of shapes and arrows and tools into six. Yeah. Nice. And that was just like one of the most powerful things. I've, I literally went on stream thinking I'm going to be writing a ton of code. And we sat there and we played with shapes for two hours. And it was like, oh, man, no wonder toddlers love doing this so much. <laughs> and it was just like, I now have a clear idea of how I can implement this, not just in Python, which is my language of choice. But if I wanted to, I could do this in React. I could do this in Ruby. I could do this in whatever language, you know, suits me best. And to me, that is that is so powerful in that it's the simplicity of it that makes it so amazing. Yeah, I I haven't used diagrams for years um, since before setup was a thing. But I remember when it came out, I I blogged about it being the uh, the perfect lightweight alternative to something like OmniGraffle. And Which I, I also own. Sure. Everyone owns OmniGraffle. How often do you use OmniGraffle, though? It's been a minute. Yeah, me in too. In this new job, I haven't. I'll just put it that way. I don't do a lot of diagramming in general. Maybe if I diagram more, I might open OmniGraffle. But it's one of those things that you have a use for at some point, and it seems like a great app. And it is a great app. Don't get me wrong. It's very powerful. Uh, but then your use case passes and now you just own a, a really good diagramming app. How much does diagrams cost? Like 20? Uh, if you were, oh, to, I have no idea. Cause you I'm have it on setup, setup so. right? Yeah. Uh, it is $20 a month. Uh, if you wanted to buy it directly from the Mac app store. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, setup's a great deal. It really is. And oh, they keep adding apps that I already own, which is, I, <laughs> you know, it's great. They're good apps. That's a good problem to have. I mean, I would say I haven't, I think I've bought marked twice <laughs> and now it's like, I'm not buying it a third time. I have it on setup. So I'm, I can make sure that I'm, I'm giving you a little bit every time that I use the app, which is quite frequently it's. And I, to me, I think that that's a better approach than, hey, subscribe to this. Like I'm, I'm struggling now with so many app subscriptions that it's, it's not that I don't want to support them. I really do. I just feel like an app like Diagrams, a good example. If I'm not using that app every single week, I feel like I'm just burning the money that it would cost to, to do that thing to, to get it versus, hey, let me just give you 50 bucks or let me just pay, you know, $15 a month. And you can stretch that out to all of the different tools that I use. Honestly, if Setup charged me per application and they were like, hey, we're, you, you just got to pay a dollar for every application that you use. OK, that's fine. I mean, at least I know that like the people that the tools that I'm using, the developers are getting paid for that. That's perfectly fine. I would rather do that any day than to say, well, some app just updated. I think like Reader 5 just came out and it's like, do I really want to spend $45 on an app that I'm going to use for two weeks and then get rid of? Probably not. I'm just going to keep building my own RSS reader. <laughs> so I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but uh, when when you run, if if you own an app and have it on setup. The setup developer only gets paid when you run the setup version. So I wrote a script that will go through all of your installed applications and tell you which ones are available on setup, which ones you might have like two installations of. And uh, then you can use that to delete the original versions of the app. So you automatically run the setup version. Um, that'll be linked in the show notes because hey, it's how you get the most out of setup. Anyway, what's your number two? All right. So my number two pick, I'm going to I'm going to make an audible here. Um, a lot of people, I would think, are nerdy enough to use a pie hole. Um, are you familiar with it? I'm not. 
So I have a oh, Raspberry Pi. I, I I am familiar with this. I yeah, it took me a sec, but yes, go ahead. So I have a Raspberry Pi, and I wasn't sure what I would do with it. Again, you see a hammer, you it looks shiny, it looks new, you want to buy it just to buy it. I decided that I was going to let it become my primary DNS um, server, and I set up a pie hole, which is quite literally the best anti-tracking ad blocking tool that I've ever used. I will say that it has blocked things to the point that they don't function uh, like they should, which to me is more of a knock on the app developer than the software itself. Sure. Because I'm sorry, like, I, I think a good example of this is on my iPad, my YouTube history doesn't update on my on my computer. It does on my iPhone. It does. But on my iPad, my history doesn't update unless I'm not on my network and then it updates. Sure. So <laughs> to me, it's like, wait a minute, what are you what are you doing that? some tracker is blocking on the iPad that is preventing my history from being updated only on my iPad when everything else runs through the same network using the same protocols. Like it's all doing the same thing. Why? (laughs) And like my wife gets mad because she plays a lot of games that have ads, you know, built into them. And she's like, I'll just watch the ads. And it's like, well, you you can't. (laughs) She gets mad because the games crash. And I'm like, all right, well, here you use you get tracked. I won't. And I know that Apple has their own built in protection of sorts. But if I go to Safari in the last seven days, 118 trackers have been profiling me. I turned on my my pie hole yesterday because I broke the power cable by mistake. Um, but I got that fixed and then I turned it on yesterday. And since yesterday I've blocked 1,168 queries out of 10,000 total. So 10, per, 11% of my queries are being blocked. That's good, right? I mean, it's a lot better than 118. Yeah. Nice. All right. How hard is it? How hard is it to build one? Buy a raspberry Pi, go to the pie hole website and copy paste. Oh, all right. I, I still have never played with the Raspberry Pi. I I got it thinking I was going to... You remember the Amazon Dash buttons? I saw a talk, and I can't remember who it was or where it was from, but basically when you push those buttons, it sends a broadcast signal out on your network. And I wanted to figure out how to intercept those buttons and make my own custom stream deck because, yeah... <laughs> That's that's definitely not a hammer searching for a nail. Um, so I never wound up doing it. I got it to where I could intercept the the signal as it was happening, but I never followed through on the when I push this button, do a thing. I just got to the hey, when I push a button, I can see the thing and it doesn't actually buy new products on Amazon. And then after that, they discontinued the dash button. So I was like, all right, well. I'm not going to play with this if Amazon's not going to continue it. Fair enough. So what's your third pick? My third pick is an artist. And I know that that's that's going to be challenging. Um, Have you heard of Jacob Collier? No. So Jacob Collier makes music that musicians, especially jazz musicians like. And everyone else is like, what in the hell is happening? But the thing that I like about Jacob Collier is that. He's a logic user, which I am as well, but he's the logic user that we all imagine ourselves being uh, a really good song. And I'll I'll send you a link uh, that he did was it's all I need. It's Jacob Collier, Mahalia and Ty Dollar Sign. I know that's a weird combination, <laughs> but that track, that four minute and 16 second track had over 800 tracks in logic. And he will sit there on YouTube and go through how he produced and arranged that logic session over like a three hour live stream. 
And if you love music, if you love logic, if you love the idea of like, hey, how does someone think in terms of music? This by far is like just gold. It is just pure amazingness. Yeah, I could get into that. I, uh, yeah. I as as part of researching when I when I relaunched the podcast, I wanted to get better at audio editing. And I, I've been using digital audio workstations since like early Sony incarnations in Cubase back on a PC in like the 90s. And I've never felt really actually good at production. And so I started studying and a lot of it, I, I just looked into editing like podcast vocals, compression, EQ, stuff like that. But in the process of researching that, I would get into these uh, like vocal compression for uh, for pop music. And you, you, you're dealing with 10 to 50 takes of the exact same track and the way that people would blend and and pan and uh compress and these five tracks are going to this bus and then sent back through this yeah it was crazy and like i can't imagine getting that deep into uh music recording i would it would be more than i think my brain could handle but it's definitely fascinating so i grew up around the music i guess scene i don't want to say industry um my uncle was a producer and an artist he still is i guess but he was one too uh, but he currently owns an old motown studio like one of their actual old studios and so i you mentioned cubase i remember recording on like a probably a, it was probably like a an epiphone les paul piped into like a zoom guitar to digital like audio interface into like this PC that I like Frankenstein together and recording directly into like Cubase LE because that's what came with the zoom audio. Yep. So I definitely call you there. And, and I mean, even some of the things that I've learned just watching him do things like, like you said, there's no way like, I'm never going to use half of the things that he's doing for an hour long podcast, but I might learn a little bit about bus chaining and I might learn a thing or two about compression and, you know, how to make sure that your audio isn't too bassy or isn't too tinny and being able to, to take those little things away. I mean, again, that has kind of been the culmination of what I've done in the podcasting space is taking things that other people are doing that I'm not I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be them. But if I can find like one little bit of something that can inspire me to do what I'm doing slightly different, then that's that's what I'm looking for. And I mean, again, I, I just I love the music. But I love the music more because I hear all of the little things that often get drowned out because he he takes time to emphasize them. Yeah. Like there's a, I think in one of the tracks um, that he did. What is it? Sleeping on my dreams. Like there's a cartoon animation sound of like kind of a hammer hitting an anvil and like Yosemite Sam's like gunshots going off. And you can you can't hear them in the full song. But then when he stops and gives five minutes on how it came to him to use that animation and how it just kind of completed, you know, it filled in some of the empty space that needed to be filled. And then after that, every time you hear the song, you hear those notes and you go, oh, yeah, there's there's that Yosemite Sam like piece. And you're like, oh, man, that's amazing. Like it makes you see things differently when you know what it took to make those things happen. Totally. Yeah. I've enjoyed, uh, I've, I mentioned it on the show that Eric Linder was on, but, uh, Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas put down a lot of, uh, song breakdowns and they talk about like all the different sounds that got incorporated into the mixes. And there's one where they're talking about this, uh, street, uh, like the crosswalk sound 
in Australia that they pulled out a pocket recorder and just picked up picked it up because it was it sounded cool. And then you can hear it once you know to look for it. You can hear it. I think it's in Bad Guy, maybe. I don't remember. I don't know if you're a Billy Eilish fan, but but yeah, like mm-hmm. those that kind of audio engineering is totally uh, totally uh, in my wheelhouse. Like that's the stuff I get really excited about. Yeah, Jacob Collier is one of those that, I and mean, I think he has a video on Wired that is explain harmony and five levels of difficulty, starting with the child and ending with Herbie Hancock. Oh, those Wired videos on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I love those. Cool. All right. Well, let's tell people where all they can find you. So if you want to read what I'm writing about, go to kjymiller.com. It's kjmiller.com, but everyone never spells out the J-A-Y part. So yeah, kjaymiller.com. If you want to hear what I'm tweeting about, follow me on Twitter, kjaymiller. And then if you want to know what I'm doing in my jobby job and projects that I'm doing, just follow me on GitHub at the same. And yeah, you can even sponsor some of my more socially active passion projects, like finding more developer advocates of color to follow and stalk through RSS. And then uh, the pitch show. Oh yeah. I forgot to do that thing too. Right. Yeah. Um, so the pitch show is at productivity Um, again, also I tweet about it. So you can catch an episode on Twitter. They come out weekly ish, like, um, usually weekly. Uh, but yeah, that's at productivity and then hit the podcast button at the top. All right. Well, thanks for being here again. Dreams accomplished. <laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in to systematic. Check out more episodes at systematicpod.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Find me as TT Scoff on all social platforms and follow Systematic at Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T on Twitter. Thanks for listening.